that you're experiencing great community. Uh, that's what we've been talking about the last couple of Sundays. We, we've talked about what it means to, to belong. You, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you automatically belong to this great community of believers. But then we talked about becoming, because although belonging is kind of automatic when you trust Jesus, becoming is intentional. It takes your desire and your involvement in community, in a group, in a setting where there can be authentic relationships that will help you to become all that God wants you to become. God's purpose is to shape you and to grow you as a disciple through a community of believers. And today we go from belonging to becoming now to being the church. We are God's people and he has called us to be the church. And I want to talk to you about what that means. And the text this morning, it's a little strange text, you're going to think so, uh, because it's a greeting. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. But you'll see, I hope, uh, why I chose this text as we're talking about being the church, what it means for you and I to be the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. The Bible says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. Paul was writing a letter to the group of believers that gather in the city of Corinth, and as he gets to the end of the letter, he sends them greetings from other churches. He sends them greetings from, uh, from people who are leading those churches. And I want you to notice the plural is churches. Yes, there is one body of Christ. There is this humongous body of believers all throughout the known world that have come to follow Christ. It's an invisible spiritual body, but its expression is found in local visible groups. And so it's churches and not just the church with a capital C. And also notice where they meet. Did you notice that it sends a greeting from Priscilla and Aquila who host one of the house churches? And this is not abnormal for the first century. In fact, no church in the New Testament had its own building. Did you know that? That in the entire, when the entire New Testament is being written, none of the churches have a church building. All they have is each other's homes. That's where they meet. In fact, the church didn't have church buildings for the first couple of centuries of its existence. In one of the times that the church spread the fastest and there was the healthiest and strongest, the church neither had buildings nor was it legal. Christianity was not a legal religion in the first couple of centuries. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a vibrant, healthy, growing, spreading church, multiplying church that had neither buildings nor legal status in its empire. Pause for a moment to imagine that. It's hard for us to, to think of that because we've always known about church buildings, haven't we? But we're thankful here at Calvary that we have church buildings, aren't we? We have beautiful facilities where we gather and we meet. These are uh, represent the sacrifice and the generosity of, of those that come before us, and we are so thankful for that. What a blessing it is to have a place to meet, to have a place to worship, to have a place to gather, and, and what a great responsibility it is to take care of these buildings. But the greatest blessing of these buildings is the people. It is a joy 
that every Sunday there are about a thousand people that come through here in worship. Every Sunday. It is a joy that every Sunday, every single classroom on our campus is being used, some of, some of them even twice or even three times. We have no more classrooms to be used at certain hours. At the 11 o'clock hour, there are no more classrooms that we can use. Sometimes we're, we're sending one of our groups to Starbucks. We have young adults that are meeting Starbucks and we say, hey, don't forget to come back uh, and bring some money for the offering. <laughs> But uh, we, we have, uh, we're using our facilities on Wednesday night. Every classroom is being used. People are saying we need a place to meet. We start a new class. We say, sorry, we're out of room. That's an exciting thing, not just on Sundays, on Wednesdays, but other times of the week, our facility is being used by people. That means there is life here. There is life here. That means when we look at footprints on the carpet and when we see handprints on the glass doors, that's a good thing. It's a reminder that there are people here. I remember when our children were young and they had toys that they would uh, make a mess with their toys in the bedroom and then they would bring their toys to the living room and then they would bring their toys to our room and there were toys all over the house. And sometimes in the middle of the night, I would get up and there were Legos on the floor and it was dark and I would step on a Lego. How many of you ever stepped on a Lego? Yeah, thank you. I forgot I was a Christian. I was so upset. And I told my wife the next day, this house is a mess. We need to clean up. These kids need to learn to keep their toys in the room. This is not right. It's always messy. And, and, and she stopped me and she said, one of these days, you're going to wish that there were toys on the floor. And boy, she stopped me. I, I complain about cereal bowls in the TV room, empty cereal bowls. How many days can a cereal bowl stay? Have you ever done that experiment? Because we do it at my house all the time. But, but the time came for, for being empty nesters, and now our house is cleaner, but it's quiet. I wish my children were here. I'm hoping for grandchildren at some point. Today's my, my daughter's first anniversary, first wedding anniversary, and, uh, and God has his own time, you know, for that. But I have a feeling that whenever God decides to send us grandchildren, if he ever decides to send us grandchildren, that I'm gonna be a little more patient with toys, that I'm gonna be okay with cereal bowls and toys because they're a reminder that there's life. And you know, if I see goldfish crumbs in the hallway, if I see broken crayons here at church, if I see that sometimes there's a mess, I say, thank you, Lord, that there are people that we're investing in the next generation, that this church is filled with life because although we're grateful for the buildings and all, although we're responsible to take good care of our buildings, the building is not the church, the church is the people. The New Testament reminds us today that when you have people if you, even if you don't have a building, you still have a church. But if you have a building and it's empty, you don't have a church. I've been to Great Britain and to Spain, and I have visited the most beautiful cathedrals that you can ever imagine. Pristine manicure buildings, works of art with stained glass window, incredible architecture, but they're empty, empty. They're museums that tell the story of a time gone by. Well, I don't want our church building to be a museum. I want it to be filled and injected with life. We are the church. And just like the church in the New Testament, we find our expression in our groups, 
You see, we talk about going to church, we talk about having church, but what we really need to be is to be the church. And we get to live that expression out in our groups, in our, in our Bible fellowships, in our huddles. So I want to offer you six pairings of how we can be the church, how you and I can be the church in, in our groups and, and, and build that community. They're, they're, they're pairings that are found in the New Testament church through the book of Acts. We see some examples in this first letter to the Corinthians. And I give them as pairings because it's important that they, that they go together. We, we can't just let one of them be by itself. And, and so I want to share them quickly with you in the time that I have left. This is what it means to be the church in the New Testament and what it ought to mean for you. So think about what it is out of these six that you need to apply to your life today. How is it that you need to grow? The first one is the, the church is the church when it leads and follows. When you lead and follow. The church in the New Testament prospered because God provided leaders. And those leaders were allowed to lead. God called them and equipped them to lead. And, and the church would learn to follow in unity. Paul's letter to the Corinthians is a corrective letter. He's getting them in trouble because they had been given leaders, but they, instead of following in unity, they had created disunity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and through 12, where Paul addresses this. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me. I think Chloe was the informant for Paul. She would text him, hey, guess what's going on over here in Corinth? That there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Instead of following in unity, the church had created factions. They had tunics that said, Team Paul. Team Apollos. Team Cephas. Cephas was Peter, by the way. And some of them thought they were really spiritual because they were Team Christ. But Paul says, all of you are wrong. Because you're creating an us and them attitude. You're creating an us and them atmosphere. And that's not what it's about. It, it, it reminds me of, of a man who was stranded in an island by himself. This, this man had been there in an island for a long time before he was rescued. And, uh, and so finally the rescuers arrived to where he was. And we'd been living by himself all this time. And they noticed that there were three shelters that he had built and so they wanted to know about them and they said what is that one over there and he says well that's that's where I sleep that's my house and they said oh that's interesting he says, and what is this one over here the second one he says well that's where I go to church and they said oh that's pretty interesting this guy by himself but he built himself a church where he could worship and then they said and that one over there what is that one over there he goes that's where I used to go to church before I got mad <laughs> he lived by himself by the way it's funny how sometimes we just find things to be divided about, even with our own selves. The spiritual leaders that God had sent had the same purpose. It wasn't about them, Paul says. Look at what 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9 say. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. It says, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned 
to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God had, has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Paul reminds uh, the Corinthians, it's not about us, it's about God. It's about his purpose. You need to be team church because we're on the same team. You need to learn how to lead and how to follow. Sometimes God calls you to lead and if God calls you to lead, do it with confidence because it's God who calls you. Sometimes God calls you to follow and when you follow, do it with unity. The way that you know that you're following a spiritual leader is if that person is leading towards unity. It's pointing to Christ, not to themselves. It's a reminder that we're not in competition with one another. We're on the same team, y'all. Secondly, the church can be the church when we worship and obey. The church in Corinth had a division problem. They had factions because they had an us against them attitude, but they had other problems. They had the problem of spiritual pride. You know people who are, are spiritually proud? I know a, a person that says, Pastor, I'm so proud of my humility. <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad you are. I'm glad you're proud of your humility. These spiritually proud disciples made others feel lesser. They, they had some way of categorizing, I have a better spiritual gift than you, ha ha. You are less than me because you can't do this or you can't do that. Their house church gatherings had become show off sections to say, look what the Holy Spirit makes me do. I wonder why he didn't give you that gift. So Paul corrects them. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that their house church gatherings should be different than that. Listen to what he says. He says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. He says, when you come together in your house church, everybody ought to contribute. Everybody has been given a gift and something to, to bring and participate, but it's not for self-glory. It's not so that you can show off how much you know or how much you can do spiritually. It is for mutual edification. It is so that you can build each other up. And as you make your contribution, uh, then build each other up. But your worship ought to be more than just talk, he says. Your worship needs to be demonstrated in power. Worship and obedience go together. You need to walk the talk. If you're gonna sing about the power of Jesus, if you're gonna sing about the blood that never loses his power, then you ought to be living in a way that shows that power. That's what 1 Corinthians 4.20 says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The Corinthians had a way of talking about things. Blah, 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 blah. They knew a lot. They thought they knew a lot. But Paul says to them, your actions are the ones that display the transforming power of Christ. Worship without obedience is empty. Thirdly, you can be the church by giving and receiving. The church in the first century gave and they received. Paul tells the church in Corinth about churches in another part of the world, in Galatia, that had been very generous. And he invites the church in Corinth to be a part 
of a special project of this offering of this collection for the Lord's people in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. You read about that. So it's not about the, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is not sporadic giving. This is not some kind of impulsive giving that is driven by emotion. Paul teaches the church in Corinth to give in a systematic and proportionate way. Every first day of the week, every Sunday, set aside according to how the Lord has blessed you. If, if you got a bonus, then show that with your giving. If you got your income tax return check, then show that with your giving. If God gave you just a little bit, then set aside according to that little bit, proportionate to how you have been blessed. It's systematic and proportionate so that you learn to give and receive. The church in Jerusalem was a church that had given much, but now they were in need. And so the church in the diaspora, the church that had been scattered, now was collecting money to help the church in Jerusalem. So now it was time for the church in Jerusalem to receive. It is about giving and receiving. Fourthly, it's about praying and caring. The early church prayed together and cared for one another. Uh, look at Acts chapter 4, 31 and 32 as one of the many examples of the church praying and caring for each other. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. What tremendous power is unleashed when God's people pray together. In this case, the ground shook. I don't know if you've ever prayed in a place where the ground has shaken after you prayed. I haven't been, but, but I know that at least spiritually, the ground shakes sometimes. The Holy Spirit infills. And, and people are united in heart and mind. The word of God is proclaimed boldly and the church meets each other's needs. See, there, there are two evidences given here of when a church prays together. The first evidence is that all believers were of one heart and mind. When the church prays together, there's unity. And the other evidence is that when a church prays together, they care for one another. I, I am always encouraged by what I hear with our Bible fellowships and our home groups of how they care for each other. Not only do they pray for each other when there's illness, when there's uh, grief, a loss of a family member, but they call, they visit, they cook casseroles, they bake bread and cookies, and they care for one another. That's the evidence of being the church. That's how you get to be the church, by praying and caring for one another. Fifth, you be the church by growing and sending. The early church grew spiritually. They received the ministry from their spiritual leaders like Paul and Apollos and Timothy. You read in 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 14. I'm not going to read that entire passage, but, but you can read there how Paul, as he's closing up the letter, talks about his travels, talks about Apollos' uh, uh, inability to go visit them, but eventually he will, and how Timothy is there and how they are to receive him. And so the church needs to be ready to grow by the encouragement of the apostles and the spiritual leaders, and then it needs to be ready to send. 
The local church needs to know that it's not just about them, that it's not just this selfish gathering of, of spiritual nourishment and, and good blessings, but, but that after they have received spiritual blessings and they send people out to be multiplied so that other churches can be planted, so that other groups can be started. And so they, were, they, they had to be willing to let Paul go on. They had to be willing to let Timothy go on. They were needed to be ready to send. If you grow, and you, if you grow spiritually and you don't send, then you become like the Dead Sea. You know the Dead Sea has no life in it. There are no fish in it. Because the Dead Sea just receives, but it never gives. But if you're always sending and you're never growing spiritually, then you become a weak church and, and uh, you burn out those who you're sending out. So it's important that, that you have a balance of growing and sending. And then lastly, serving and submitting. You can be the church when you serve and when you submit. God has called all disciples to serve. God has called all believers to serve. We, we believe in something. This is the name of a doctrine that we hold dear. It is a doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And this is what it means. It means that every single follower of Jesus is a priest because we have access directly to the high priest of Jesus Christ. That means we don't need a mediator to go to Jesus. That means all of us have the Holy Spirit in us and we can open the scriptures and God can speak to us directly. It's a beautiful thing. That means every believer has a gift given to them by the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift. And one is not better than the other. Paul says that. And if you're a believer, that means you're called to serve. Notice here, in, in this uh, particular case, 1 Corinthians 16, 15 and 16, how Paul talks about a particular household that was serving. He says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors in it. Here we have a family that were the first believers in Achaia, and they began to serve, and they, and they became the leaders of the church. Isn't that great? They didn't wait for the seminary to send an expert. They understood that God has called every believer to lead and to make disciples. And so the household of Stephan has become church leaders. And as they serve, Paul says that the church is to submit to them. We call these people of peace. Do you know that God has a person of peace in every community? That every community that God wants to reach, every neighborhood that God wants to reach, there's a person of peace. Who's a person of peace? It's someone who already has a trust and has a network of relationships that God will use to be an influence to reach a group of people. Do you know that some of the disciple makers that God is going to use in the days ahead are not followers of Jesus yet? You know that God has people who are already established in relationships that are going to benefit the gospel and they don't even know Jesus yet because that's the kind of God we serve. God, the kind of God we serve begins to work through people who are not saved yet so that when they become saved, that God will continue to do a work that will bring a great harvest. And so when people get saved, when people come to Christ, immediately God can use them if he hasn't been using them before that. That was the case with the household of Stephanus. And so God calls us to serve 
and he calls us to submit. Both are important. As we close up this morning, we've been giving you testimonies of people who are being the church, who are living in community, and I want you to hear the testimony of two people uh, in this video. Hi, I'm Rosie Wilkinson, and I'm your women's coordinator for Women in Touch. And I got saved at a very young age, at 12 years old, and then later in life, I got baptized here at Calvary Baptist Church. Hi, uh, my name is Frank San Martin, and I met Christ when I was 10 years old, and I got baptized a year after that. We've been coming to Calvary for over 20 years. Uh, our sons were in grade school and in middle school. And uh, did I tell you I'm married to Ray Wilkinson? And I have two sons. They're grown men now. One's in heaven and one lives in Seattle. And uh, so we are just so blessed to have um, a family that um, was raised at Calvary. So my wife and I have a home group uh, for college students and we meet on Fridays, but I'm also part of a huddle with a bunch of guys and we meet uh, once a week. We are, we've been meeting since September. It's a women's huddle called Lead Like Jesus Revisited. And we have uh, quite a group of number of women that are coming. We started with five and now we're at 10. And these women are, when we gather, we uh, we pray for each other. We, uh, we're learning from these authors on how to lead like Jesus. So our home group, we just gather together. We share food. We open up the Bible and we just have a good time learning more about God and just learning more about each other. Uh, with our huddle, we're trying to get together and really just tackle three things to grow, to support each other and to multiply. What we do is we have about 32 chapters in this uh, Bible study book, and we assign women hard work, uh, not homework, but hard work. And what we do is we come and we discuss what we read. And But before most anything, we always start with prayer. And then we also have fellowship. We do, we do bring, uh, every, every woman brings food. We take turns and, and bring in a little snack or dinner. And, uh, and so what we do is we discuss what we learn. Our huddle is just so important because since we come to a bigger church and it's really hard to meet people and get to know them, uh, just getting together with a group of guys, five or six of them, sharing life with them, being able to help each other be accountable, being able to um, pray for each other, read the word together, and just grow spiritually. That's why we think um, the huddle is so important. When I started studying the Bible, this ministry with the Bible study, it's really helping us open up and hear from everybody else their perspectives of what the Bible is, is saying about the Lord. So it's just been... Um, it's been really a blessing, a true blessing, because we're learning from each other and we're sharing from with what we're learning. And, um, and so it's just um, an amazing time for us to be together. As far as our home group, uh, it's really cool to just see a bunch of college students come together, uh, also open up the Bibles, but even more than that, just be able to share a meal, be able to maybe plan some uh, 
events to reach out other college students that are not connected to the church. And it just creates a smaller place that doesn't feel as intimidating as, you know, maybe big church right now. So there are all kinds of people that are being the church in small groups, in huddles, in home groups. It's great to have church. We gather here and we worship together, but we can be the church when we're in community in groups. And so I want to invite you, if you're not in community, to to be a part of community. If you're in community already, if you're in a group already, I want you to think about where is it that you're doing well? Is it in leading and following? Is it in worshiping and obeying? Is it in giving and receiving? Is it in praying and caring for one another? Is it in growing and sending or is it in serving and submitting? Where are you doing well? And then where are you struggling? Where is the one place that you say, today I want God to work in me so that I can be the church in that way? How do you need to be the church today? Do you need to become a follower of Jesus for the first time and say, I receive his gift of eternal life and, and on the cross and his resurrection, or, or I want to follow him in believer's baptism, or I want to join a huddle, a group, or maybe something else. What is God calling you to do today? Would you stand with me? And as you think about your response, as you think about how are you going to pray right now, that God will help you to be the church, not just to go to church, but to be the church that he's called you to be. Will you respond? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminders. Thank you for what you're already doing in our midst. Help us to be the church when we gather as a congregation and when we meet in small groups, Bible fellowships, house churches, huddles. Help us to be like that New Testament church, used by you to bring you glory. As we sing, I want to invite you to come and kneel at the front. If you want to be prayed for, we'd love to pray over you, whatever your need or your commitment is. As the congregation sings, you come, you respond, you say yes to the Lord.